Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Cody Stopper. And this is Craig Morton. On this podcast, we talk to writers, teachers, activists, and we seek some wisdom. And as always, we are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. The sure, the sure seven B or whatever it is. So hey, I just turned on the recording. So oh, sweet. Okay. All right, man. I, I tell you, I, I I see your T-shirt there, and uh, did you get one of these? No, I haven't got the T-shirt, but I'm two thirds uh, two thirds of the way through the book. Oh, I should have bought a book. I I haven't bought. And it. I'll I tell you that that has been. Um, it's a it's a it's a great um, story. I mean, it's yeah, um, dude, that's awesome. It's so sad uh, at times and so encouraging. It covers everything. Oh, and the it we are talking about is the book. Oh, what is the name of the book? <laughs> uh, it's by Sarah Jackson, one of our favorite guests. I know. It's about Casa de Paz, the creation of Casa de Paz, and how it all, all came about. And have we, have we had her twice on now? We've had her twice. Yeah. We are own. No, Tom's been on how many times? Tom's been on twice. Or is it three times? Oh, he's probably been on three or four times, actually. I think so. I think because we did it. We did a two part with him. Yep. And then you yeah. came on and did a special for Advent or something. Right. Uh, we do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but Sarah, Sarah Jackson, Casa de Paz, the book is called The House or A House That Love Built. Uh, the House. The House That Love Built. <laughs> the House That Love Built. There we go. And it's, so it covers Everything. in conceptual form issues yeah. of immigration uh, multicultural sensitivities, that kind of stuff. It covers in incredibly concrete, specific stories, uh, stories of, you know, families that are broken apart. How, um, what was it? Um, Quito, Ecuador. Was it, is that the right name? I can't remember uh, what's, what kind of, yeah. Um, right? what, what it has no visa regu regulations. And so <laughs> people from every country in the world go there and then begin their pilgrimage up to the United States. And so coming across the southern border, you know, um, you know, people assume it's all Latin Americans ah, or yeah. Central Americans. Totally. And they're from all over the world because that's the place you start that pilgrimage. Okay. And uh, talks about uh, the creation of the Volleyball International, the, the volleyball um, uh, uh, program that that helps support the casa it gets into theological deconstruction when you know you're faced with immense suffering wondering why isn't god fixing this it's just so i'm having a great time reading it um it's awesome um so highly recommend it highly recommend it. highly but i'm finding i'm not getting much reading done 
really? Year. Why? Me neither. But <laughs> but why for you? So I well I I'm getting reading done, but I'm not getting books completed. I should put it that way. Huh. Um, well, I mean, like, so I just got done teaching a course on, on uh, kind of a short course on Christian history or Judeo-Christian tradition. Okay. So you're just reading snippets for that for resources. Well, for that one, I read, I read all of, are you familiar with uh, Shelley's book on church history? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, read, read the whole book on that and taught that in five weeks. That's a lot to go through in five weeks. Whoa. And, you know, and for that, so that counts as two books, shouldn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I would think for, um, for me, when you have to jam, jam, when you have to like really put that much information into five weeks, it's actually like, five weeks doesn't sound like much, but because the work you have to do for it is double. Maybe that you'd have to do for a whole semester. It's, it's concentrated. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, when I taught summer school this last summer, it's the first time I taught summer school in a long time, I guess. And it was a seven week course of a normal 16 week. No, it was a six weeks, six week course of a normal 13 week course. And so it's like, Oh yeah, this is all doubled up. I have to grade twice a week, not just once a week. Right. I've got to spend 20 hours a week, not just 10 hours a week on this class, you know, on grading. And right. um, And then I would think just, just to prepare for it too. Okay. So I'm thinking of like this way, when I go to, if I have to prepare for a, like, let's say it's a weekend long, uh, like, you know, conference with, you know, four sessions. And so I'm like, Oh, yeah, I have four sessions to cover all this info. So I can kind of just go, you know, about that information. But if I have to condense to a 15 minute or less sermon, it's actually more work because now I have to like, okay, now I've got to go through all that information and really uh, surgically exact what it is I want to get down to. And that is the struggle of online teaching as opposed to classroom uh, live teaching. So online teaching, all the lectures are written. Mm. You know, there are, they're, oh, they're, they're like oh. research papers kind of, you know, it's all, you know, think of in terms of a research paper, right. You know, so you're developing the content and the, the, the material the students need, and then they read it. And then you come, you know, then, then there's discussions, you know, online to, to question it. Or there's links to additional content or videos and material like that. But in front of a class, when you've got an hour just to like, okay, here's, this would take me 15 minutes to read it to you. But now we've got another 45 minutes to discuss this. I want to be prepared for that discussion. But I don't have to have it be prepared word for word for word for word. Right. And what I, you, the, the, the analogy you were giving about the, you know, preparing for a workshop, just Reminds me of the of, of preaching. Um, you know, I I, I can prepare for a, a you know a four session workshop. You know, it, if it's material that I've already covered, it takes no time at all. If it's new material, yeah, you know, might might give it a you know four hours of presentation. You know, maybe twenty hours of prep. Yep. Um, and then, but if it's a if it's a a sermon. 
and I'm trying to keep it into 10, 15, 20 minutes. That's 20 hours right there. <laughs> I know. Um, <sighs> and I think that's one of the reasons that I, I, I picked up. Oh, by the way, I, who I am, I'm Craig. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going. Hi, this is Cody Stoffer. Cody. And, and, ever, I don't know if we've ever used our last names, have we? Yeah, probably. No, we don't. it's because we don't want to be tra- chased down by uh, spammers <laughs> or whatever. But <clears throat> so I remember one day I picked up my grandfather's Bible and I was like so excited. I think maybe I've mentioned this before. I was so excited because my grandfather had these wonderful sermons. Um, I mean, he died when I was 12, and most of my memories of him preaching are probably when I was 10 years old or even younger. But he always had these sermons that I oh all I remember is they made people laugh and I felt good. You know, it was like a, a good, good space, you know, yep. and I don't really remember anything he said really, you know, any kind of verbatim thing, but it's like, Oh, I'm excited. I've got his Bible. I want to see what his notes are. And all his Bible had was marginal um, notes that said one, two, three. Ooh. All he did was out, all he did was outline these, you know, pericopes. Uh, like those are the three points for his sermon. And it's like, well, well, what word did you like? What, 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 what did you do with it? And there was nothing there. But then, oh, you know, I, I think my sermons these days have gotten that way a little bit because I have, I don't do the verbatim manuscript. Uh, right. It's you know, and it's an outline. Um, I think I learned during my first pastorate, I would do manuscript sermons. Yeah, that's what they taught us to do in seminary, really. Oh yeah. And and then when I was preaching on a, on a manuscript that took me ten minutes to read in the in in the office, it always took me twenty five minutes to deliver. And it's like I I don't understand what's going on here. And then I started I started uh, kind of keeping track while I preached. And I'd make a little note in the margin when I'd go off script. Oh. And, I, and, I, and I noticed how many times I did something uh, extemporaneous in, in the midst of the sermon. Mm-hmm. And the more I got to know people, the longer I was there, the more yep. extemporaneous I would get. Yep. So I would, it would have something that I had prepared was 10 minutes, but of course it took 20 minutes to deliver. <laughs> and, and, um, so then my my notes started getting a little bit more brief because I knew that I'd add something in. But it still was taking 20 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. I've always aimed for a 15-minute sermon. It's been a long time since I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know my in my first uh, nine, well, yeah, almost nine years as a pastor, the congregation I was at actually valued longer messages. And uh, so I would routinely do 45 to 50, sometimes well, 50 minutes. Do you find, did you find that it, it was easier on you to prepare for the longer sermon? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes. Because I, you know, I have, you know, I mean, name a top, name a point and you bring with you everything that's already kind of there, you know, in exactly. your mind. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and, when you've got that time crunch, you think, well, I can't bring in all these other yeah, extras. Yep. And I do. Uh, I, if I were, li- you know, I don't know. I, I guess it depends on how much time I feel like I have that day. I, I like both for some reason. I like the, the shorter for the con- conciseness, like tell me that one point 
because I can take that home, you know, like I can boom, I that's something that'll stick with me. But if I have a little more time to ruminate on the 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 talk, the longer I like because I, you know, I like to jump from one point to another point to another point. You know, I like to get a little bit more. Yeah, and it's that. it's kind of hard to know, you know. Um, yeah, I, it really depends on the on the environment you're you're preaching in. What I notice when I do write out, you know, a verbatim sermon, do a manuscript. I, I carefully craft the words and try to make, you know, some things maybe um, more picturesque or find that one word that conveys more meaning than a, than a whole sentence, you know, find some, some, you know, a provocative word to catch somebody's attention where when I'm just speaking for 40 minutes, I don't worry about that at all. And I think it's, it's, it, they're both challenging in different ways. Yeah. So, uh, Hey, tonight, well, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't talk about tonight since this is going to air later. Never mind. Well, it depends. Maybe I'll just throw <laughs> this right on up today. Well, the, uh, on PBS tonight and tomorrow night, uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr. is doing a special, The Black Church. This is our story. This is our song. That I heard on NPR yesterday, I think, a little bit about that. Yep. And it reminded me that I think on Amazon Prime, uh, Jamar Tisby's uh, series on The Color of Compromise, this, the book he wrote about the... At, yeah, I think those two would be interesting actually have in, in a conversation with each other because as i understand um the one on pbs is the black church's experience they are telling their own story yep. whereas tisby is telling the story of american christianity and the um segregating of of the black church through making these cultural compromises Oof. and ah. uh, so both two stories told about the black church experience, but from different perspectives, different, different angles on it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure you knew about that. Well, that's, that's, that's <laughs> interesting to, well, so jumping into the topic of um, black history month. Mm -hmm. Yes. So have you been preaching on it or what are you going to do or how have you been acknowledging it? So we haven't, yeah, I didn't we, preach in my sermons about it, but we did, uh, we were doing, book studies all year really about um some anti-racism stuff and so this month specifically i started with I, I i saved it for this uh month the book cast by isabel wilkerson the origins of our discontents so uh that's what we're doing as a church as congregations we're studying that book going through it pretty good buy-in you feeling yes oh yeah yeah, 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 we got a lot of excited folks and people beyond our church too. So, oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty neat. Because, yep. yep. you know, I, I, I do shake my head. We do live in a strange part of the country. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, I mean, it's. I think it's important to talk about anti-racism, <clears throat> but we, some of some of us in our communities can go for days before we see somebody who is a different uh, ethnicity. <laughs> it seems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty monocultural. Um, yep. But then I think it's also what is that psychological? Uh, it's a it's a brain function syndrome that 
Uh, Once you notice something, then you see it everywhere. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but yeah. Yeah. Right. You probably, it's like, uh, so for an art, here's an example. We, uh, we want to get a Subaru Forester as a vehicle because it's four wheel drive or all wheel drive and right. uh, <clears throat> it helps with the going up the Moscow grade. But we didn't, you know, we've been thinking about it now for a year. And in that year, now we see them everywhere. Where exactly. It, yeah. Right. It, before they were here before all around us, but didn't ever pay attention or notice them. Right. Every, and I, there's I, so many of them everywhere. And, and I wonder how many things there are that are just like that. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps the value, uh, even in our monocultural part of the country, studying issues of, of, um, you know, either anti-racism or indigenous peoples or, uh, you know, black history, all of a sudden we might become uh, more aware of people that we otherwise would have missed, yep. I guess. I don't know. Yep. So, and we'll go, That's oh, funny. it's everywhere. I didn't know that. I did not even, I was blind to this. And now uh, I see. And now I see. <laughs> There's a song in there somewhere. Uh, somebody ought to write that. Yeah. I, I sense a classic. So yesterday I sent you a link. I didn't know if you had any time to look at that, <clears throat> but that's there. There was um, a YouTube. There's a YouTube channel called The Conversation. Yeah, and I don't know too much about the conversation, um, but this one particular episode was about a guy named Thomas Sowell, and Thomas Sowell was brought to my attention by somebody in our congregation because we've been talking about lots of issues around related to anti-racism, uh, African-American culture, um, just becoming more aware of some of those things. And I don't, and I don't know where this person had gotten this information, but had, had looked at Thomas Sowell and Thomas Sowell reminded me of, do you remember years ago? You, you might be too young. <laughs> But years ago, Bill Cosby I'm pretty made a made some kind of public declaration about African American culture needing to have more self respect. Oh, sure, and sure. you know, you know, make sure to pull your pants up. Right. Uh, make right. quit quit mispronouncing words like a s k. You know, x. You're right. X may a question. And uh, you know, don't don't go naming your children something like. La Fonda or whatever, you know, and he was, oh, wow. he, and he was just pounded. And when he said it, that's like, I, I had this odd feeling like this doesn't sound right. It kind of seems funny. Yeah. And like but the, on the other hand, it's like, well, I'm not, how do I speak to those kinds of statements when I'm not a member of either the culture that's saying that, you know, the Bill Cosby African-American culture or the culture that to whom he is speaking, you know, the recipient of African-American culture. What, what's my place as a white guy in that? Is it to witness and just hear both sides or is it to that's enter? And how do I, how do I enter in that conversation? Anyway, so that's what Thomas Sowell reminded me of. He reminded me of Bill, Bill Cosby saying, you know, black people have all the same rights and opportunities as, as white people and anything that goes wrong in black American culture, black African-American culture, that's on, that's on African-Americans. Mm. Um, 
and 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 I it just it troubled me and it leaves me in a place of not knowing what's the best way to respond to that. I know what I do personally. What I do personally is I just continue relating to my African American friends and kind of let them lead my choices, you know, or my understanding. They're people I trust and I trust their experience. And right. Anyway, yeah. So have have you had that kind of thought of how do you yeah, there was, uh, there was a gentleman in our congregation. Actually, there were, there's been a couple of folks in our congregation. We they weren't. He one guy was talking about uh, uh, the black uh, culture experience. You know, kind of like just how you presented it. You know, like, it, it, you know, why do they do this to themselves? Why do they, you know, whatever. Right. Another lady. It was about. Um, our native american indigenous uh population here in the area it was like but you drive out there and you see their homes and what they do and they well, you know we give them that and i had to swallow you know my like we give them at oh, come on <laughs> yeah yeah, but you, yeah, give yeah them this yeah. land to live on and oh my gosh i wanted it but anyway right yeah so i have confronted that or i've been confronted with that a little bit and in the moment yeah i honestly didn't know what to say or do um, but actually one of our first books in our series that we started this year, uh, after the murder of George Floyd was the book, how to be an anti-racist by right. Ibram X. Kindi. And in there, he actually does talk about like, that is a thing, you know, that in his family actually handed down to him. Like they were, you know, we don't want you to be you know, this. And, That's right. Right. I remember that. <laughs> right. And, uh, and they had to, you know, he had to work through that. Like, how come no one presents that, you know, uh, no one's standing up and saying that about other culture, because it's not just in African American cultures that there are segments of the population that, you know, create their own culture in it so to speak every every ethnicity every race has segments that you know they create the within their uh within this country and new new cultures that don't look like the majority right know, culture and so and i mean were you ever raised and told don't be like those other white people <laughs> right I mean, other than, you know, my mom would say, you know, things like um, <laughs> she would say, don't be, you know, you know, good things like, you know, don't be don't be uh, uh, a jerk. You know, don't be, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's just common parental advice. Right. Right. You know, yeah, she don't, never be had to say, don't be like these white people. You know, she didn't say that. She it was just don't be, you know, try to be nice, you know, be be generous, be, you know, whatever. So. <laughs> it's typical and i i do kind of it, it 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 leaves me uncomfortable just yeah that, that whole thing and well especially here's i think here's the greatest dis source of discomfort yeah is when i hear white people mm. argue are arguing about the black experience yeah, yeah. and so one would say well you know they've had all the opportunities we've had and there's no reason for them to be different or have a different cultural expression and they just need to do whatever. And the other one, and the other side of the argument is, 
it's important for everybody to have their own cultural expression, especially if you're part of the minority culture and you claim ownership over your own things, whether it be language, you know, arch uh, clothing, music, whatever. And that, that's part of the, you know, empowerment and blah, blah. Right. And those two voices, when it's two white people going back and forth, leaves me confused. Yeah. <laughs> like what, where, how do you, you know, yeah. Every, especially every oppressed culture uh, or population around the world and in all of history comes up with their own, you know, uh, way of speaking to each other. That's their own. That can't be dominated by the oppressed, oppressive culture, right? I mean, <coughs> Jewish, right. Uh, Jewish, uh, the Jewish population under captivity, you know, they had their own way of speaking to each other and you know whatever i yeah 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 so it's yeah and it just i don't always know what to do with it and like you said at, at when when it when confronted when you were confronted by it you didn't have a ready <laughs> yeah. response well and that's you know uh, but that's the root of it too for both of those people talking about it they don't they have as just as much experience with it as i do so how come uh my response is maybe I shouldn't talk about that, or maybe I don't have a spot to talk about. How come their response is this is the way it is, you know, or whatever? <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I I know that uh, I don't know for sure, but I, I have a, a hunch that one of my friends gets maybe a little tired of me coming and asking, can you help me understand the black experience about this particular thing? <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> And it's like, I know that, I know that he didn't sign up to be the spokesperson for, you know, African-American culture. Uh, but, you know, he's like my go-to guy. And it's like, I feel a little sorry, you know, for him when I keep asking him questions, like, how do you handle this? But, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. So uh, the person actually gave me, in fact, I still have a, a copy of it. And I just have not read it. Gave me a copy of Thomas Sowell's, uh, one of his books. Really? Okay. Like this is, you know, this is, I think it was about economics. And so I don't know. I don't think it had to do with uh, black culture, but it yeah, was it, he, 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 you know, he's described as somebody who covers a wide range of topics in, yeah. in in economics and philosophy yep but i i was just the one one example two examples that he spoke without it was just a you know snippets of his his comments that just left me feeling like this guy is not a sociologist at all right uh, he, he was he was talking about how uh, uh when there were uh u.s military in Germany after World War II, and some of them uh, stayed in Germany. Some, some of the uh, black soldiers stayed in Germany, and they had children, and their children you know, grew up basically um, fitting into German culture, and they don't have any of the problems as, you know, uh, as, as do African Americans in the United States. And was saying, well, see, it's you know, it, it can be done, you know, kind of a thing. And it's not to say that German culture was, you know, had racism, you know, on lock, but, <laughs> All right. but, um, but you, I don't think you can compare two different cultures when it comes to cultural expressions of, 
issues of racism. I think probably every culture does racism its own way. Right. Um, and I would think Germany never having bought or sold slaves in the slave trade uh, would have a different experience, even though it's right after World War II, which was a hugely, you know, prejudicial and disgustingly, Ugh. you know, horrific, you know, way to live out certain ethnic eth- ethnocentrism. I mean, it's, but I don't know. It just, I, I, you know, it's like, you can't use that as a sociological piece of evidence because it has no bearing on growing up in the United States. Right. Yep. Yeah, actually, so that book uh, that we're going through right now, Cast, is, I mean, that's, she's, she drew, first of all, she does use, you know, she is a, well, actually, she's a journalist by nature, but she, I think she has a, a degree in other, in another field, but maybe a sociological related or, or something. But anyway, she does use some example from that period of German history to show, you know, actually, that's interesting because did you know that the Nazi uh, philosophy was heavily influenced by American Jim Crow? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Where did where did Hitler get the idea that somebody of a different ethnicity is only worth two thirds of a person? That kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And she drills down into that pretty hard because the caste system, she compares, you know, India's uh, Germany's for that period of time. And then the American caste system and, you know, the overlaps and influences of each on each other. And it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do wish that black history month went longer. (laughs) Right. 28 days, Um, 29, some years. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, They're, (laughs) they're the only specialty month that sometimes gets a bonus day. (laughs) They, it'd be interesting to know that, the history of black history month like why it was chosen i know there's a reason i uh because wasn't it was it the was it the naacp that selected i i I do not know that'd be interesting we should know we should learn we should we should have an african-american historian on Mm. that'd be awesome yeah next week you have one you you have somebody you have somebody lined up I have a no. friend who who uh, celebrates and is steeped in the Black History Month as a black man himself, and he uses it like that month as his personal pilgrimage month. He, he, it's a mental pilgrimage, he calls it. Huh. So it might be kind of interesting to hear his thoughts. Well, that would be fun to ask him. How's his pilgrimage? How, how has his pilgrimage gone? Yeah. Where has he gone? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he calls it a mental pilgrimage. So it's like he learned, he, he says he spends, I, I'll have to double check, but I think he, he wrote a little bit about it and he said he spends the month going on a pilgrimage to learn about mentally. So it's either by, by a books, essays, videos, things like that, to learn about a different component of black history that he hadn't dived into right. before. So yeah, that would be, that would be, uh, that would be, that'd be fun to talk with somebody about that. Okay. I'll see if I can get him yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, chase chase that one down. There's another uh, interview that I'm still trying to work on, but I got a response. Um, so the folks at Common Hymnal. Oh yeah. And and uh, the 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 fellow who pulled that together <clears throat> is uh, Malcolm 
and I don't know how to pronounce his French last name, but it's like Duplessis or Duplessis or du, Duplay. I don't know. Duplay? Oh, yeah. But it's French. It's a French name. Or maybe it's a Dutch name. I don't know because he's, he's South African, I believe. But he's an old guy. You know, he'd, he'd been in, um, in like kind of the, I believe he'd been in the worship music world for like 30 years and kind of got out of that and kind of organized this consortium of create young creatives to do some music that was speaking to many of the issues of justice, you know, in the day. And, and that, that was part of the emergence of common hymnal. Mm. And, and it's not, it's not, I don't know what, I don't know how to, how to describe common hymnal. It's, it seems to be a multicultural blend. Um, what I've seen of it, I love. So, oh, I love it all so yeah, far. We yeah. we've uh, we used one of those songs. It's a uh, Latino uh, called "Tu Amor," you know, for worship, and it's just a beautiful kind of Puerto Rican rhythm. It's just it's great. And then uh, they have a wonderful song on you know the twenty third Psalm. There's just so much good stuff but it it speaks to the issues of right now so much that that coincide with black lives uh, matter as well as other issues um it's really cool stuff it's awesome so hopefully we'll we'll get him uh on here and he said maybe you'd like to talk to one of our one of the younger people you know you know the musicians or the artists and I said, that'd be great. But hey, I'm an old guy. I'd like to hear how, how did you as an old guy make this thing happen? That's um, awesome. Um, I think that, you know, so I think it could be a good conversation. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I'm trying to, I, how do you find your local uh, PBS listings? If you go to pbs.com, I'd ask you, uh, it'll suggest, is this your location? You would think so. Well, that's what it, that's what mine does. It <laughs> does it really. Yeah. Uh, there's something weird about Washington. It's called Weta. <laughs> Weta. Washington. What would that stand for? Eastern <laughs> Television Authority. <laughs> Weta. Weta.org. What is Weta? <laughs> what is Weta? What is Weta? <laughs> Nowhere on here do they tell you what it is, what it stands for. That's such a, that just sounds like such a New Jersey thing. What a, what what is Weta? Yeah, Weta is Weta. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're killing me. Uh, okay, so I don't know what. Okay, I'm in a weird location because. I'm on the border of Washington, Idaho. So I think we get, we can get either both or one or the other. I don't know. Man, I, I honestly don't know. Well, you probably can get both. You think I can get both? I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> Schedule. Hmm. Mm. Anyway. Northwest <laughs> Public Broadcasting. Is that your, is that yours? Well, what is so? Why does it say Weta? I don't know. <laughs> Northwest Public Broadcasting. I need to learn more about 
<laughs> about this stuff, um, man. Uh, so this is this is an interesting uh, exercise in contemporary um, theology of place. <laughs> yeah. So we live in a culture that is is uh, YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. All these things have no geographical space. They're exactly. I mean, they're they're global, and they're everywhere, and that, and, uh, and and they're resourced from everywhere, right? And so, how much do we appreciate our local space? Oh, you're making me feel guilty. So, <laughs> PBS NewsHour, finding your roots. Okay, here's finding our roots. Ah, here we go. KTNWHD. Is that what I'm looking for? I don't know. <laughs> What is KTNWHD? Okay. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, it says it's, it says, uh, I just looked up KTNW and it says TV schedules, Northwest Public Broadcasting. Or, but am I weta? Are you, did what, say that again? <laughs> am I weta? I thought you said, are you more weta? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, no. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, this is ridiculous. Uh, I'm glad we're recording this. So. I need to know. I need to learn. Somebody out there, if you know Washington, help me. Where do I go for my PBS? Is it so, Northwest Public Broadcasting? Is it WEDA? Is it both? Or, or is one? Ah, who knows? Now, how long have you lived in Clarkston? I mean, so here's the deal. I've lived here now six years. And we have a digital antenna and I go through the channels, but I don't ever stop to see the little logo to see if it's Northwest public broadcasting. It's just PBS. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You could go run in the other room, go turn on the TV and see what it says. Yeah. 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 Uh, you'd have to do that at the top of the hour. You might miss it right now. <laughs> yeah. Ah, crazy. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Well. <sighs> oh, Anything new? <laughs> uh, I'm coming your way in a couple of weeks. Hey, that sounds good. Because I'll tell you, starting next, a week from this Friday. Yes. I, uh, life gets one notch of complication. Uh, so. You get, uh, are you starting um, uh, track again? So track and field begins February, the last fr Friday of February. I think it's the 26th. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, looking forward to it. Kids are yeah. looking forward to it. How's it going to be? How do they have it set up? What's where? Where does it like right now for? <laughs> well, it's outside. Okay. So. So no worries. Yeah. So that that's a positive thing, and the, we we separate the kids. You know, with you know, we set out cones. Hey, don't get this close. You know, to to each other, and they're. Yeah, it's going to be a whole bunch of freshmen who don't know anything, but um, <laughs> I, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they've been conditioned enough over the past year to kind of get it. Um, uh, so true. I, I think it'll, I think it'll work out pretty well. I know that when we do it for, uh, for winter track and well, summer, we had some summer workouts too. It was, you know, the kids caught on real quick. So that's cool. But you know, you got you got every other lane kind of a thing. You've got, you know, you got you got lines on a track that say stay this far apart. Um, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so that's I think awesome. I think it'll be all right. 
what's we'll have to see what the weather does because I think it's going to be I think it'll be fine by then but we can't I don't know if we're going to have track practice today we got eight inches of snow um, and I don't know if anybody went out and shoveled the track Ooh, that might be your job today or so tomorrow. we've got we're <laughs> supposed to have this is supposed to be our last week of winter track what okay what is the what what, do, what happens in winter track you get you get you get uh, good <laughs> yeah okay so it's not a required thing oh no 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 so it's it's more like a club sport so it's okay it, so we work we work with kids who are they're they're generally the better athletes in track and field at their schools okay they're, and they they want to they want to keep building that that skill set normally in a normal world the normal we used to have because i don't want the normal i don't really want that normal back but in a more regular season this would have been indoor track season okay and so our, our winter track kids would have competed at uh nike has a, a large invitational here in in the boise area that we co-sponsored in the past um then there's another there's the largest indoor track meet in the country in pocatello uh, that normally happens this week and it's not in happening. the mini dome in the mini dome. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's the largest indoor track meet in the country. It's really, uh, and, and so we get some of our kids sent out there. It's a great recruiting opportunity. Wow. I so did not it's, know that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great um, uh, event. It's the uh, Simplot Invitational. Uh, of course. And, uh, and so normally our winter track programs are, you know, it's working with the kids for those events, you know, getting them geared up for those, but this year it's just stay in shape. If you're not doing a winter sport, come out and work with us. Um, and then we get a week off and then we go to high school, go to, our, go to our teams, our high school teams. And then, you, so Craig, let me ask you this. Uh, sorry, I got a text there. Um, do you, what opportunity, what do you have? Do you ever, does it come up in conversation? <laughs> How many commas is that? Wait, was there a semicolon in there? I think there's a, a hyphen maybe. Uh, what theological conversations do you have with your track athletes? Any that you would, uh, or spiritual or more not like. That, not that that needs to be a goal, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I, more of them are like counseling. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. One day I had a kid. This was a couple of years ago. She just kept plowing into hurdles. Could not remember how to do a single thing. And normally she had been been pretty good. And it was like I decided let let's go for a walk. Something's not clicking. It's not. It's not skill. Something else is clicking. We went for a walk, and she was telling me about her parents were divorcing. And she can't get that off of her mind. Uh, and it just gets in the way of things. And then tried to enable her to refocus on track as a way to, you know, channel that energy, some of that anxiety, some of that frustration, sometimes, you know, just work the stress off. Had another, had another uh, athlete who had chosen to not be, uh, to not continue in her parents' uh, religious faith. Oh, wow. And, and that was a lot of, you know, trauma in the family and track was the only safe place to talk about these things. She felt partly because and it was LDS and it's such a large LDS community yep. that 
that, you know, it was, you know, she had looked for specific people that she could talk to, you know, and, and some of his coaches were those people. I had another student, uh, outstanding uh, student athlete, st- uh, student council, uh, four years, uh, academic scholarship, athletic scholarship in track and field or in football and uh, was a tenth of a second away from additional money for track and field. So we were trying to work on his, on his time. And then when he graduated from high school, he broke down in tears and he explained how throughout high school, his parents had told him, if you have time to play around, that means you've got more money than you need. And so um, we're not going to pay for any of your athletic equipment. We're not going to pay for the, it, in our school district, you have to do what's called pay to play. You have to put a hundred dollars down for each sport you want to play to help pay for the program. And he had to pay those. And then he would also work so that he could afford to pay those. Oh, wow. And then when he would got, would, would get home, there wouldn't be leftovers for him. So he had to feed himself. Oh my God. So his parents basically said, you're on your own. We'll give you a place to sleep. And we didn't know that till he graduated. And when he graduated, he was in tears because he was talking to, to some of his coaches saying, I don't want to leave my family. You guys are the only family I've ever had. Oh man. And it just breaks your heart. But, um, and so, you know, uh, most of the athletes who I have those kind of conversations with, you know, we're still talking, you know, they're, some of them are now college athletes um, and they're, you know, doing well in college, but they stay part of the family. You know, they, they stay in touch Wow. In fact, some of them, I'm hoping, maybe, uh, depending on what pandemic plans are in the summer, they'll be part of a youth sports camp thing that like we might camp. pull off. And I yep. would love to have them come in as counselors yep. to work That's with kids. Cool. So it's it's just really good to have those relationships and be able to maintain them to be there for those important questions. That's awesome. I, 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 I was having a conversation with a youth pastor one time and I, he was telling me about, you know, the time he gets to spend with youth. Yeah. And then I realized I got, I've got more time that I get to spend with high school kids than a youth pastor. Wow. And I was like, well, that seems weird. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. And, and it's like, I, I would never think of myself as a youth minister at all. Yeah. And yet, but, but, but it, there is something about ministry to youth or with youth. So, yeah, that's cool. I love it. Yeah. Uh, when I, so yeah, that's that every once. Go ahead. I was going to say every once in a while, I think, well, this ought to be my last year coaching. I'm getting too old for this. And it's like, <laughs> I have some more of those encounters especially when it's with like a freshman or a sophomore it's like well i want to see how this kid grows up i think i'll stay around for another year (laughs) that's right exactly you can't leave you're never going to leave yeah and i so at my when i was a pastor in payette for the first few years i worked a job at a grocery store at the same time and i had honestly so many more deeper spiritual type conversations with the folks I worked with, you know, than I actually did with members of the church. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, and I, I do have those conversations with my, my, my fellow coaches from time to time. Yeah. Um, it's funny because every once in a while they'll, they'll just shift gears and they're like, you know, I, I, I need to talk to you about something. And he's like, okay, they're, they're kind of signaling that you need to put on that pastoral counselor, you know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of persona. Know. It's a code, yeah. uh, a switch in the, the way we talk to each other a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The code How, switch thing. That's right. Does it ever feel like, okay, when you, did you let people know like from the get go, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a pastor or was it, did it come out over time? You know, I think it came out over time. It's really, you know, some people who have known me for a long time, you know, know that um, I'm not sure where they would have picked it up, but it's definitely not one of the first things I lead with. And uh, I do know that when I was teaching at a previous school, the students would go look at my uh, LinkedIn page. Oh, sure. There you go. And uh, yeah, and then, then they, I remember one of them saying, you don't seem like a, like a preacher. I said, oh, what's, <laughs> what's that mean? Well, you just seem so normal. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was, that was good information. Yeah. So yeah, that's when I was working at the store. See, I didn't, you know, I didn't let, if people asked about it, you know, questions that asked about it, I would, I would volunteer it, you know, but I didn't ever just lead with it, you know? Right. Uh, it's basically because it was kind of like a, a bit of an experiment, you know, like, okay, let's see what happens when people, you know, cause people do, they talk to you different, you know, when they yes. away when you, and is that, how do you feel about that? Have you ever gotten the person swearing and then they go, oh, yeah. oh yes. they look at you like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, yes. I've heard it before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By that, I say, I just say to him, listen, if you, you know, if you can't say it, if you feel like you can't say it to me, then you probably, then for your own sake, you must feel guilty and you maybe you shouldn't say it <laughs> uh, to ever. But don't worry about me, you know, like. <laughs> That's good. me. But yeah, like, you know, just be normal around me. I don't care. Yeah, one of the one of the enjoyable um, things, well, a couple of, you know, was, you know, I've, I've ended up paying that, playing that kind of pastoral counselor role for, yeah. you know, some coaching colleagues who are going through some tough places. I once um, had one, one of my coaching colleagues who uh, is not, he is, he's probably the least church-minded person I've you know, I know, I think he's probably been to church, you know, a couple of weddings and maybe a funeral, that kind of guy. <laughs> yep. And while he was taking, uh, he's going through a degree completion program through Grand Canyon University, and he had to take a Bible course. And he's like, can you help me? Because <laughs> all students are required, regardless of their major, to do that at most Christian colleges, you know, like NNU and others would do that. And he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't there because it was a Baptist school. He wanted just because it fit his schedule. He was like, help. Yeah, how do I <laughs> do good. this? And then oh, an, another one of my coaching colleagues got to uh, perform her uh, wedding. And that was fun. So that's good. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Do you ever, okay. How about in your, have you had this experience? I do. I get this all the time where it's like people who don't go to any church at all, no congregations, and yet they know you or are friends with you. 
will sometimes refer to you as their pastor, even though you're really not. You ever had that? Yes. Yeah. 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 That's weird. And I, I, <laughs> and I don't, I, in fact, I've had one who, you know, uh, who even explicitly said, even though I never go to your church, I think right. of you as my pastor. Yes. Yep. I get that. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, all right. <laughs> and so yeah. they would ask me these pastorly questions. Right. So, yep. Yep. Yeah, I do. I get that a lot too. In fact, for, for one of those couples, you know, a friend who was in that position, uh, I did the 50th anniversary wedding, um, like a recommitment of vows of, you know, and that was just such a fun party. That is cool. But uh, it was like, yeah, in fact, uh, of the, of the two, um, I was with a friend, I was a friend with both of them. I had worked with one of them, but one kind of had a severely long decades lapsed Nazarene background. (laughs) And the other one, the other uh, spouse was an atheist, but both said, yeah, you're our pastor. Yeah, I was like, that's cool. I like that. Uh, that's awesome. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. <laughs> so this this is this is kind of a, a slow let's catch up episode. This is what we call a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. <laughs> this has a point. Does it? What's the point? Well, I don't know. Somebody else had to <laughs> discover that. We just supplied the evidence. They got to put the pieces together. <laughs> put it together. There's some. There's some. There's some treasure in there. There's some gems. There's some gems. Yeah. So, um, any? Hey, have you been binging on anything or watching any shows lately? No. <laughs> I really want to watch uh, WandaVision, but I haven't. Uh, I just haven't had a chance yet. Are, to, are you uh, caught up on all your Avengers movies? No. Okay. Do I need to be? Yeah, I would say watch the Avengers first. Ah, okay. <laughs> or at least the last two, the last two of the series. Okay. Are you? Uh, do you have you caught? Are you? Do you? Are you uh, caught up on all that? Uh, not like a not like a cult per- member. <laughs> right. I'm a fa- I'm familiar. Okay. So because it was in, I think it was in Thor or the second Thor movie. Uh-huh. That that um, shield shows up, okay, and Coulson gets killed. Okay, That's spoiler alert. Do, oh, you did you you know all this stuff? <laughs> anyway, I'm just so kidding. all of a sudden there's a TV show and Coulson's on Shield on ABC, and you're like, wait a minute, wait, how'd that happen? And so uh-huh. then I got sucked into watching Shield. Um, then as I watched Shield, I realized, oh, there's all these MC universe kind of things kind of over connecting. And, and it's like, okay, yeah, what's this about? Mm-hmm. And then um, it's like, wait, where does here, here's where I got curious. Where does Spider-Man fit in? Right. And especially because at first uh, they didn't own the rights even to have the yeah. <laughs> to use it into that universe. But, so. but, but it was still this in this Stan Lee mind. Right. <laughs> I know. and then i started getting curious about what other elements were part of this whole universe right and it goes to what is it daredevil yeah uh luke cage and those became netflix shows iron fist was that anywhere yeah yeah Uh uh-huh i heard people didn't like that though i'm not sure why maybe they were the purists (laughs) um and then Uh, 
And then uh, what's the uh, what's the guy uh, B- Benedict Cumberbatch? What was his character? Oh yeah, Doctor. No, I was just gonna say Doctor Who. No, it's um, <laughs> Doctor yeah. Strange. Yes, Doctor Strange. But then the other one, you know, Jessica Jones. Yes, right. Yeah, and so all the stuff that was going on in Hell's Kitchen with those stories of Daredevil, Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. All related to the destruction of that part of New York that took place in the Avengers. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's like, wait a second, that connects. Got it. And so it just became fun to find where these different pieces connect. And awesome. and the this kind of oh, what was the other one? It was on ABC. The woman who was Captain America's love interest in World War II. I don't. She was a British a British spy. Uh, what? So that was another ABC show. And that's where you pick up Stark Industries and Stark comes in and you go, oh, Stark. That's cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fun to see this intricately woven universe. It feels like it's intricately woven in the way you would intricately weave together many different additions to a house that were all designed by different architects. Wow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that kind of fits. Let's squeeze it in. And so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in Wanda that goes along with that, that you just, you there are a lot that. of Easter eggs. Oh my so, goodness. You could probably just watch it like, oh, that's cool. And yeah. you could also watch and go, does that mean something? Yeah, it does. So. Cool. I got to Yeah, no. So I, yeah, there's things I want to definitely watch. Uh, I want to finish. I've started Watchmen. Haven't finished that. Yeah. I don't have an HBO login, so I don't. Right. Right. They had it free there for a little bit. Yeah. And then, but, and so I, <clears throat> I should have jammed it in, but I didn't. Yeah. And then uh, uh, um, I still haven't seen Ted Lasso. Oh, my, what's need, wrong with you? I need, I know, I need to watch it. And um, I want to watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I heard that's good hmm. on Netflix. Oh, Carla and I watched a really good movie this last week uh, on, on Apple Plus. It was Palmer. Oh, okay. I saw, and, uh, yeah, okay. And yeah, um, a little bit about that. It's a really oh, wait, I, wait, that's Justin Timberlake, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And you know, I think a Justin Timberlake dressed up in some goonie costume on Saturday Night Live or you know, doing doing rap battles with Jimmy Fallon, um, <laughs> or trying to be you know, kind of this, um, you know, pop star kind of guy, <clears throat> right? Music to see him take on the physical persona of somebody who comes out of 12 years out of prison. Mm. uh he pulls it off uh it nails and, it huh and he 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 looks like this guy's got a bunch of demons in his head that he's trying to struggle with and it's and it's it's kind of a fun it's a it's a neat story to watch the progression um, okay i'll check that so out it's, how yeah, long is that it, it's a movie right it's, it's a movie yeah so an hour hour and a half i mean an hour and a half maybe an hour 40 minutes okay and then we also watched one pelican no penguin what Something about penguin, like Batman penguin. No, 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 no. It's about a, it's about a family that adopts a injured uh, magpie in Australia. 
Oh, wait, wait. Why is it called penguin then? Well, you know what a magpie looks like, right? Yeah, I can, so I, I can little, see. Little it. black and white bird. Yeah. Did they think it was a penguin at first? I'm not sure why the kids named it <laughs> penguin. Oh, Pen, my gosh. Penguin Bloom. There, that's the name of the movie. Penguin <clears throat> Bloom. Okay. Okay. And uh, it's a you know family that goes through <clears throat> some struggles. Um, and struggling. How, the, how this... Uh, adopting this injured bird is you know critical to the family's well-being yeah it was like it looked like it looked like it could be a sappy feel-good movie right and it wasn't sappy but it was still a feel-good movie what movie did i watch dude okay this was actually really good it surprised me uh okay it's somebody let's see somebody I think it has Chris Pratt in it. Uh, and somebody, oh, it's a, um, let's see, it's a killer wells or something get trapped under ice in a, <laughs> like in a, uh, maybe Alaska near Alaska, something like that. And so it's a true story. And they had to like do this crazy rescue operation, you know, and everyone else is like a lot of folks are like, just let them die. I mean, no big deal, you know, whatever kind of a thing. I never heard of any <laughs> such movie, <laughs> man. It's actually pretty good. I can't remember what it's called though. So, so a movie about Chris Pratt saving killer whales trapped <laughs> under the ice. Uh, yeah, I think so. Big Miracle. That's what it's called. Oh, it was John Krasinski, not Chris. Oh, okay. John Krasinski. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Operation Breakthrough. Okay. This was the good. It was a true story. 1988. International effort. That's right. It had to take like, because of its location and what was required, it had to like, like Russia had to be involved, America and somewhere else you know like multiple things yeah huh. <laughs> good okay yeah, it's really good i'm trying to think i don't know if we've watched oh yeah we watched togo that was a we watched that finally togo what's that yeah it's it's about the smallpox vaccine in alaska the the sled oh. dogs oh. and disney disney they're both disney movies the other one is balto but dolls balto sure. and Togo are, are Disney movies, but Balto went uh, 31 miles and delivered the last part of the relay. Oh wow! And got all the credit. It has a statue in Central Park and a bunch of stuff like that. So Balto gets all the credit. Uh, Togo went 231 miles. Oh wow! <laughs> and was was the beginning and the midsection of the relay, but didn't wasn't the finish line, so it didn't get any of the credit. So it was like it was like a movie trying to set the record straight. It was kind of cool. <laughs> Let's clear things up here a little bit. And it's it was oh. so weird to see uh, uh, Defoe. Uh, what's what's his name? Um, Willem Willem Defoe. Will, Willem Defoe as a good guy and as a nice guy as a lovable person because <laughs> I always think of him as a Green Goblin, <laughs> right? You know, and he just has that. I mean, he just has that aura persona of a well, he has that perfect alaskan face it looks like it's had too many it's had frostbite too much <laughs> oh my god because he because he really has that those strong characteristic wrinkles you know oh that's true and 
it was it was a good movie yeah so, <laughs> so we've been watching a few movies and we're also trying to finish up uh schitt's creek ah oh, that's a good show right there. and and after you know i watched the first few episodes and carly i think you'd like this she's like eh, i don't like it <laughs> and then next thing i know she's like can we watch schitt's creek i thought you didn't like it oh it's a good one i never said so we're plowing through <laughs> So. did she didn't like it at first but now she loves it or what? she loves it yeah so oh that's interesting i think we might be finishing it up here in the next few days <clears throat> so when you're when you're binging a, a series do you ever get to the point where you're like i don't want to finish the last episode i want to stretch it out maybe the next season will be here by the time i get done with this one wait say that again do you ever slow down your, your binge through a series because you don't want to finish it? Yes, I did that. Uh, uh, I have done that with, oh, we did it with, and it nipped us in the bud. In the butt? Nipped us in the bud. <laughs> Actually, nips you in the bud. B-U-D-D. Okay. Bud nipping is what you do to roses. Okay. So we wanted to, oh, so that, okay, that makes sense. You nip it in the <clears throat> bud so it doesn't continue. I get you. I yeah. Um, you do it with orchards and flowers and stuff like that. <laughs> the, uh, 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 um, oh, what's it called? <laughs> the West Wing. Oh, we were, yeah. We we're doing it at the West Wing, and then it got taken off. And, oh, really? Yeah. So we can't finish it. We have to get the CBS deal or whatever ah. to finish it. So, and we were so close. We were like a, a half a season or maybe a season and a half away from finishing it, but we slowed it down. We're taking our time. Gone. <laughs> See, I really don't like it when there's a, a show that I really like. And I'm thinking, okay, especially if it's just Netflix, Hulu, you know, Amazon Prime type show. Because you know that as soon as the season is done, you're going to have to wait for a year and a half for season two or something like that. And by the time season two comes, you go, gosh, I got to read. I got to watch the previous season to figure out what what's going on here because I don't remember. So I had watched The Expanse on Amazon Prime. It's a good sci-fi story. Mm. And it's I think it's in its fifth season, but I'd watched seasons one through four. But by the time season four came around, I forgot what season three was. And I went ahead and watched season four. And then I heard, oh, season five's coming. So I thought, okay. So I started all the way back at the beginning and went through the whole series all over again. And now it's time to start season five, now that it's all done. Now so, it's done. Mm. But, Gotcha. Man. Ooh, this looks good. Hosted by Shane Claiborne. Oh, it's tomorrow night. Oh, I don't know. What is it? Oh, it's it a... is Red Letter Christian Faith Forum on gun violence. Oh, gee. There's um... Facebook Live with special Good. guests, Pastor Ben McBride, Reverend Sharon Risher, and Reverend Rob Schenk. Gosh, what's the thing that I was going to do tonight? The, um, it, was your the was it with David Brooks or David? Yeah, Brown David or, Brooks. That was uh, it in Colorado. I think so. Yeah. University of Colorado, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. Leadership thing. David Brooks. Uh, Leo Hill Leadership Speaker Series featuring David Brooks. University of Calder, Colorado Boulder. No, it's next Tuesday. So oh, there we go. <laughs> Got a week to see if I can do it. You can do it. Come on now. Uh, it's a live stream, seven to eight fifteen p.m. Ooh. Ooh. Hey, we ought to contact him. See if we can get him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. 
<laughs> do you know what would you okay i wanted to ask you this the other day who would you say is the because david brooks i to me i kind of put david from and david brooks kind of together they're both kind of seem you know moderate right you know moderate conservative right, correct okay who is the left uh version of that the left version of moderate like that? <laughs> well, yeah. Who, who would you say? Oh, what about Nicholas Kristoff? Okay. What about him? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about him. Uh, uh, he's a columnist uh, for New York Times. Okay. And there he is. Yep, he's, he's, he's a uh, champion of, of liberal causes. Okay. But at the same time, his focus is less on... It's definitely not partisan. Okay. He focuses on on kind of universal codes of morality and human rights. Oh, uh, does he? Okay, wait a minute. I okay. He, he lives in Oregon. Podcast. Does he have a podcast? Right. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I just read his articles when I can. But cool. he came. I think he's from. Um, he's somewhere in the. He grew up somewhere in the Willamette Valley. I can't remember where. Uh, mm, that's interesting. But. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I I would say he's the left, but he's a moderate kind of person. Okay, um, I would How say about, be, because his views are less driven by policy issues as much more than more so by human rights issues. Okay. What about John? Uh, 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 what's his name? Stewart. John Meacham. Do you know John Meacham? Oh, the historian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I he might he might be in there. He has a wonderful book that he did with country singer guy tug mcgraw no tim mcgraw tim mcgraw tug, that's a baseball player <laughs> well listen tug McGraw, they're related yes they are related yeah i think it's either his grandpa or maybe even his dad i don't know um but i, I can't remember if it, which which country singers but i think it's called songs of america okay that sounds cool and uh yeah tim mcgraw yeah. yeah, and Carla and I listened to the audio version of the book on a trip somewhere, which is really great to listen to their two voices because they also use musical excerpts that you couldn't get through reading the book, of course. Oh wow! Um, but it was it, it was a history of the United States through song. That is and awesome. It was it was oh, you know not cool. songs about American history, but the historic songs of an age of a period, and then how each age kind of expressed itself in unique particular songs. That's cool. Yeah, it was really, really good. All right, Sons of America. Patriotism, protest, and the music that made a nation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. cool. Wow. Um, gosh. Who... <laughs> Any others? Who else? What's what's hard? What I wonder are there are those the voices that really need a little bit more amplification? No, that's what I was thinking. I was just saying, like it's all white guys. You notice that it's all. Yeah. So why? Yeah, that's interesting because, of course, there's going to be in the moderate middle, a lot of centered white voices because uh, you know, let's not get extreme here. But then again, I mean, um, wouldn't you wouldn't you say that? Um, always forget all three of his names: Louis Gates, um, yeah, uh, Henry Louis Gates, Henry Louis Gates. I, he he does not strike me as as an extremist uh, in right. any way. Oh yeah, right. Um, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't put, uh, I wouldn't even put Andrew Young over there. You know, some right. of those folks are part of the uh, early ages of, stages of that, uh, you know, the civil rights movement. Right. Um, yeah, I, I guess if you view them in the bre- in the breadth of their topics that they cover, I think it's right, when right. you get when somebody gets pigeonholed. This is their issue, right? Then and that that issue may be extreme, but maybe they're not extreme on other things. Like, what were the other policy positions that John Lewis supported, other than oh, sure. civil rights? Right. You know, where was he on budgets and? Uh, yeah, it's, you know, interstate trade and uh, <laughs> right. Um, so there yes, might be more moderates right. out there than we know. It's the issue. Oh, yeah. Yep, that sounds extreme. <clears throat> yeah, there we go. So who there are some go. of the who are some of the women voices or people oh. of color in that that space? Well, how about um, what about EJ Dion? You know EJ Dion? Oh no! Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I... Not not EJ Dion. Um, uh, oh yeah. Now now I've lost his name. Uh, man. Okay. Let me look. Let me do a Google search. Not EJ Dion. Uh, now all I can think of he wears a, an ascot sometimes. <laughs> really? Oh, what is his name? Ah. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't remember. Oh well, it'll come to me. So another another old white guy who's uh, in that moderate spot is also uh, Shields. Um, uh, um, and he does a thing with Brooks every every Friday on uh, PBS NewsHour. Um, why can't I? Is he for the? Does he write for the Chicago? I'm thinking Roland Martin. That's who I'm thinking. Oh, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> that's the. He's the. Uh, he wears an ascot. <laughs> there he is. Yep, and there's the ascot. There it is. Okay. So yeah, Ed, I had a conversation with somebody about moderate voices are moderates are are a waste of time. We, right. we don't need more moderates. We need people who are passionate. But I'm thinking, wait, you can be a passionate moderate. Yeah. I don't think moderate means um, apathy. Right. So. Well, maybe they're passionate about, you know, I guess uh, dialogue or something. I suppose. Yeah. I, I, there's one of the coaches I coach with. Um, very. He's a he's a he's a traditional Republican. Okay. And by that, I mean, he's kind of a, he's kind of a Mitt Romney, uh, John McCain, uh, Republican. Okay. And he finds, he feels like he has no, he has, he doesn't have a party anymore. Well, yeah. And, and at the same time, because I think, especially because of the John McCain piece, he's also a bit more sensitive about communities of color and, and, you know, uh, you know, opportunities people, you know, should right. have. He's just a little bit more sensitive. Because I remember when, when, when um, the issue of immigration reform was coming up, it was, it, was a, it was McCain and I forgot who the other person was. The main legislation that came up during the Obama administration was, was a joint 
piece of legislation with McCain as one of the co-sponsors. Right. You know, it's, he, you know, he lives in a state that's heavily influenced by the, yeah. you know, the Mexico Absolutely. border. So it's a, he should have a, it, a say on. And somewhere it, along the way, if you were a Republican means you had to be so um, xenophobic that you, you couldn't think about anybody else. I not. Anyway. So this, you know, a friend just has no feels like he doesn't have any voice in that party anymore. Yeah. And in some ways he'd be a he'd be a good moderate Democrat nowadays. Right. Because <laughs> it doesn't fit in a that party. Classic liberal, you might say. Yeah. Actually, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So okay. Hey, I have a phone call I gotta do. So I've got one too. I've got an interview <laughs> coming up in about oh three minutes, but I gotta get some stuff done here. All righty. I'm I'm being interviewed for by somebody for somebody's college project. <clears throat> ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, like, did my uh, DS ever follow up with you on the? Yeah, and I just haven't had to. I, I okay. did some emails back and forth, and I haven't had the mind to put it back together. <laughs> okay. So, I still have this wonderful idea that I just don't have the energy to <laughs> push through. Isn't that the theme of the last two years? Uh, maybe longer. Last... <laughs> <laughs> I was being generous. I have, I have no shortage of good ideas. Yes, so. me, man. Oh, there's always an Avett Brother song, just so you know. Here's, it's called Incomplete and Insecure. Go Google it. Go YouTube. YouTube it. Will it make me feel better or will it make me feel worse? It'll make you feel in solidarity with someone like somebody understands because I know it does for me. Incomplete uh, and insecure. Okay. Maybe I'll do that. If I, if I, if it, if it sends me down a dark hole, it won't. Come on. <laughs> All right. So we're going to po- po- uh, post our uh, Seinfeld, uh, Seinfeldish episode seinfeldian seinfeld seinfeldian that's a good word <laughs> yeah all right all righty see what we do next week <clears throat> maybe I'm we'll have your friend on yeah i'm gonna try it we'll i'll reach out to him we'll see what he what he's up to see if he all can right well it's good talk to you all righty talk to you later see you craig bye thanks for joining cody stoffer and me craig morton for this podcast We simply try to record and upload without much editing. What you get is live conversation with all its ignorance and insight, wisdom and foolishness, sometimes more of one than the other, and occasionally profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment. And look for upcoming Facebook live podcasts where you can interact with our guests. Also, we can be found on Twitter as at all that's holy. Our intro and outro music is by At the Speed of Darkness. Support At the Speed of Darkness on Bandcamp and buy his music there, as well as follow him on Instagram at At the Speed of Darkness. 